Welcome to the Women's Football Podcast. My name is Chess Warren and this is our look at the beautiful game from the Champions League through to the National League and beyond. Joining me this week is Alex Piera. Say hello, Alex. Hello, everyone. It's good to be back again. And debuting on the show today is Otty Mundy of South London Laces. Say hello. Hi. Really excited to have you both here. On Saturday, we saw the second leg of the Champions League semi-finals, which was really exciting. Barcelona travelled over to Germany for the second leg to face Wolfsburg, and they held a 5-1 lead from their first fixture. It was definitely a much tighter encounter, though, this one, and Wolfsburg took the lead in 46 minutes, with Tabia Vazmuth fired home a goal despite there being a suspicion of handball against Jonas Dottir for her 10th goal in 10 Champions League matches this season. The comeback was on when Jill Rod fired home a second to have the Wolves dreaming of maybe, maybe being able to bridge that gap. Despite all the pressure, though, Barcelona managed to hold on to book their place in Turin. Vazmuth said afterwards that she was disappointed, but also proud of her team. Now, Alex, it was too much to do for Wolfsburg in the end, but they still showed how strong they are. Not many teams can beat Barcelona and stop them scoring. This was actually the first game that they haven't won this entire season. How do you think Wolfsburg set up differently in this fixture instead of their first leg when it went so, so badly? I think obviously they would have learned a lot from their defensive errors in the first leg to concede five goals and only score one considering how good Wolfsburg were in the group stages and then quarters and last 16. So definitely a very much improved performance. And like you say, to beat Barcelona, who were on a 45 unbeaten game streak, like that is unheard of. Like they haven't lost at all in the league. They've got every point possible. So for Wolfsburg to really turn up, score two goals and, you know, just kind of, make the tie a bit more enticing and a bit more competitive because there's always that danger with the first leg, with Bas being 5-1 up. How are they going to play? Are they going to go for the kill or are they going to sit back defensively? And I think, you know, you just got to get the ball in the right areas. And I think that's probably what Wolfsburg did better. And I think having the home home support really did help cheer them on and G them on. Mm. Now, Otti, do you think that that shows that Barcelona aren't actually invincible? If you were Leon, which, spoiler alert, they're the other team that gets through to the final. Um, if you were Leon, looking at looking back at this fixture, it shows that Barcelona can be beaten. What would you do as their manager to make them get into that winning mindset? Well, I guess definitely analysing that game and seeing what Wolfsburg did differently between their first and second games and trying to replicate maybe a few of their tactics from the second leg when they beat Barca. But, I mean, I guess with the Wolfsburg game, they just obviously went into it with a really positive mindset and they didn't let the fact that they were had four goals different going in, difference going into it, like, get to them at all. And so I think it'll be quite a lot of a mental battle as well for Leon. Mm. I think it's funny talking about that pressure. We're going to go on to talk about pressure when we speak about the Manchester 
Manchester United West Ham game later on, but it really kind of shows how a mindset difference and sitting back and just enjoying and playing can really benefit a team. But on to the other semi-final though, Lyon took a slender lead to Paris Saint-Germain onto the second leg. The Parc de Prance looked resplendent with a big crowd and lots of fireworks. Let's face it, they're a lot more popular than the men's team at the moment and the ultras were out in force. But they were soon silenced when all-time leading Champions League scorer Ada Herdeberg headed home across to give Lyon the lead. PSG really put Lyon under pressure though, but Hedeberg thought she had added a second, heading in a Lindsay Horan cross, but VAR ruled it out for offside. PSG did get an equaliser though when Marie Antoinette Katoto topped home after a pinball in the Lyon area. But inevitable as it was, Wendy Renard, the captain, headed home unmarked to take Lyon through to a record final appearance, their 10th on the 21st of May. So it is Barcelona, Leon. We've just t- talked about that fixture there. Alex, do you think the Spanish side are the slight favourites for this one, or do you think Leon has what it takes? I think, given the way Barcelona have gone about things, you would like to say they would be the favourites, but Leon have dominated the Champions League for so many years. They really thrive in the Champions League. So you never know, this one might be going all the way to extra time and penalties. And also, can I just say, it's so nice to see a women's game use VAR and to use it correctly. Because we see it in the men's game used for every game and it's not always, the technology isn't always used appropriately. So it's just about making the game fairer for both women and men. So hopefully next season in England, in the WSL, we can perhaps get some VAR down at the grounds, but obviously it is a money issue, so we'll just have to wait and see. Or just some goal goal line technology at least. Please, please, I'm begging, please. (laughs) There's been so many this this season. But alas, it was the return of Hedeberger through Lyon and it's come at a crucial point in the season for them. It can definitely make the game interesting, but... Otti, how do you think her impact will be, especially coming back to the national team over the summer for the Nor- uh, for the Euros for Norway? I mean, Norway already have a pretty stacked team. I mean, you look at some of the names they've got. And, I mean, her return in the form she's in is only going to make them stronger. And she's such a leader as well on the pitch that it can really make the difference for them, I think. Yeah, it's starting to make our very... A easy looking group that it may have been when it was drawn out of the hat slightly less easy looking domestically though midweek it was part two of Chelsea versus Spurs despite Chelsea dominating it it was a narrow victory for Emma Hayes's side on Thursday with all of the goals coming in the first half Beth England opened the scoring on 19 minutes before Keris Harrop equalized a minute before half time any thoughts on Rianne Skinner's side going into this were dashed when Sam Kerr, because who else? Of course it was going to be Sam Kerr, restored the lead in the first half stoppage time. I think it was 18 seconds after the whistle was blown. But the big story out of Chelsea this week was Jiso Yun announcing her departure from the club. It's fair to say that there wasn't a dry eye in the house. I got a bit teary looking at her leaving video. Alex, G is going to be a big loss and you could see by the reaction of all of the people at the club 
what does she mean to Chelsea? She she has just been such a phenomenal player for Chelsea over the years. I remember being at the FA Cup final in 2015 and she scored she scored that absolute cracking goal in the 37th minute uh, to win Chelsea the FA Cup. And I think it's really telling that the Chelsea men's Instagram put up their own post about G. So she's obviously a big character and she means a lot to the club. And you've got people like Jodie Morris saying, I remember when we had a kickabout with her and she was just full of life and energy. So it is a huge, huge loss for Chelsea. But I think perhaps had the sanctions not in place, she perhaps could have maybe negotiated a contract extension but at the end of the day, if she wants to go home to South Korea, if she's missing her life back there, who are we to stop her from going back? I just, it's of course going to be a sad loss for Chelsea, but I wish her all the best. Yeah, completely. I think the Chelsea squad are going to struggle without her. I interviewed um, Drew Spence a couple of weeks ago and apparently she is the only player who can get any time off she's the only person that Emma Hayes listens to when they want time off so they're definitely going to struggle after that but Ottie do you think she goes under the radar a bit because it seems like when we talk about Chelsea we look at Sam Kerr we think of Fran Kirby we think of Pinilla Harder but do you think players like that need a little bit more recognition? I mean yes definitely she's got such quality as you can definitely see when she's playing for a national team as well she just stands out like especially in the recent like um Asia Cup she just stood out so much and in the Chelsea team they just have so many incredible players which I mean credit to them they perform amazingly in the transfer windows but I don't know she doesn't get the playtime I kind of expect her to get and then when she comes on, I'm like, oh my gosh, she's she's so good. Why isn't she playing the whole time? Yeah. But then they just have so many good midfielders and so many versatile players that maybe, I don't know, it's a bit of a situation maybe similar to Beth England where she's fighting for her, her playing time. And yeah, I think they'll miss her. And she's def- yeah, she's a good impact player to have, I think, and definitely one that they'll miss being able to bring off the bench and and to start most games, which I think she should be doing. But <laughs> on to the fixtures this weekend, though, in England. It was up to Manchester as City took on Brighton at the Academy Stadium. In the first half, City were 3-0 up by the 20th minute, with goals from bu- two goals from Bunny Shaw and one from Kazweer. But Brighton were breathing down their necks as Kagman netted home a penalty from a badly timed Walsh tackle and Julia Olm also scored, bringing it to 3-2 just before the break. But Gareth Taylor must have put a little something-something in those halftime oranges because instead of letting the pressure get to them, City came out in the second half like a brand new team. Bunny Shaw netted home another two goals to add to her two in the first half in the first 16 minutes of that second half, followed by two in quick succession by Greenwood and Lauren Hemp. The game ended 7-2. 7-2! This City side know what knows what is up. How do you think they can strengthen their side to ensure that they can compete like this for the whole season and not have a slip-up like they did? Alex, if you were Gareth Taylor, what would you be looking to do, maybe over the summer or in the transfer window? I don't think perhaps they need to do so much 
in the transfer window per se. I think this season they were hampered a lot by injuries, especially at the beginning of the season. So perhaps maybe having a better, I don't want to say training plan, but better precautions in place so that they're not so hampered by injuries. Because even, I'm not sure what the, I'm not even sure what their concussion protocol is because a couple of games back, Ellie Robot got hit in the face against Spurs. And like she was saying she was fine, she was fine, but you could clearly tell something wasn't right. So I think having that, sort of clarity about what are the protocols and also sort of building on okay so we've beaten this team 7-2 we've beaten other teams 5-0 how do we then turn those into consistent performances because the talent is there but it just wasn't clicking at the beginning of the season and if they want to be serious contenders and they want to challenge in Europe then they've got to become more consistent that's the only way they're really gonna win anything Mm. talking about outgoing players though there was a rumor which twitter said was 99% true but then we realized that it was twitter that had said that so it might not be 99% true there was a rumor that caroline weir will be heading to real madrid over the summer and leaving manchester city Ots, what do you think will be the impact in that manchester city side if caroline weir leaves well, I mean, you can just see how much of a like core player she is to that squad. In, I mean, it always seems to be in the Manchester derbies, but she's always the one that, when you're under pressure, she can just pull off something amazing and get and get that point and get the ball in the back of the net. She's she's just an incredible midfielder, and she's started throughout the whole of this season has been consistently good and one of the only players in City who's been, I think had a consistently good season day by day and yeah week by week she's just performed and gets quite a few goals actually from midfielder as well she's yeah she's just wonderful and I think City will miss her a lot I know they've got other great midfielders as well that could probably step into her place but she's a huge asset to the team so hopefully she stays we'll just we'll just have to see Brighton though it was looking painful at times it feels kind of blasphemous to even suggest it, but Alex, do you think it's Hope Powell's time to go? Because something really isn't working. It could be, but then like, it's not like the manager before Hope Powell was particularly doing any better. So I'm not quite sure why it's going on at Brighton. Could it be the manager? Could it be the training regime? Could it be that they're just not, physical enough to compete in the league I don't know but maybe if they're lucky to stay up which I think they probably will do there needs to be some serious investment in players like they make such simple mistakes and then you'll you'll see them like play against Everton and they'll play not not amazingly but they'll play decently but then they'll play against City and they can't seem to string two passes together. So what's changed in the space of those games? So definitely a diff- different training regime and like just trying out different tactics because you'll see managers like Emma Hayes. Yeah, she'll start with one sort of formation. And then if something's not working, she'll change it. So you need to, as a manager, you need to be adaptable. And maybe um, with Hope Powell coming with such a big name and accolades and things like that, 
perhaps it's not quite the fit for Brighton because although they perform and sometimes they'll beat teams at the top of the league like Chelsea or Arsenal, but they're not doing that consistently in the league. So where is it going wrong? I'm not too sure. Mm, I guess we'll have to see what they move on to next season, where that kind of direction shifts to. Talking about bouncing back, though, on the red side of Manchester, Manchester United were hoping to come back against West Ham from the, let's say, limp nil-nil draw that they had with Villa last week, which put their team in City's hands for that top three spot. But what a way it was to bounce back. Martha Thomas scored against her old club and put United up in the 12th minute. West Ham, for this fixture, had captained Grace Fisk, not their usual skipper, but she was the player who scored a last-minute equaliser versus United a couple of weeks back. Now, I thought that was a bit cheeky, to be honest, but the cheekiness was all thrown away and back into the hammer's face because she scored what was a truly beautiful own goal in the 20th minute. To be fair to Fisky, though, if she wouldn't have put it away herself, Russo was just behind her, so I'm sure she would have done the job. Leah Galton, though, made it three for Manchester United. It wasn't all doom and gloom, though, and when the Hammers did have the ball, Lisa Evans was able to drive it forward, but there was no one really there to pick it up for West Ham because they were concentrating so much on defending, so they weren't able to convert it into anything. Alex, this really shows what a side can do when Manchester United play without pressure. We've spoken a lot on this pod about how this young side needs confidence and experience. If you were Mark Skinner, this transfer window, who would you go after to bring that kind of level of confidence that this side really needs? That is a tough, tough question. Because like you say, like for United to be third and to lose one of their best players to one of their rivals in Lauren James and to be doing fairly well and being third and with the potential to get European football, it's a pretty good thing he's done. But to be competitive in Europe, you need to attract the best players. And I'm not sure who perhaps they need because they are getting goals, but do they need that out-and-out striker like Sam Kerr? Do they need someone like Caroline Weir who's going to chip in with with an absolute worldie every now and then? I'm not too sure. I think, again, consistency for them is key because they've had great periods this this season where they've been, when they're good, they're really good. And when they're not, it just falls apart. And I'm also, it's such a shame for West Ham that they did lose in the manner that they have. I think perhaps they're still a little bit shell-shocked from the... Uh, FA semi-cup final defeat where they were 2-0 down, made an error to concede that second goal, then got back in just before half-time and then just really fell away in that second half. So maybe there are some after-effects of that for West Ham. I'm not too sure. But it's been an it's been a better season for West Ham, I think, than last season, but they still still need to improve. They want to climb the WSL ladder yeah it's it's definitely been a better season for them they were I think last week at the highest points total that they've ever had in any of their WSL seasons but was 
it just that it was three points to lose for West Ham, Otty? They should have expected something from this, right? Especially after their last performance versus United. Do you think they didn't want it enough? I'm not sure. It's a difficult one. I think it's more that United played very well this time round and they're looking a lot more together and they're looking as if they're playing more as a team and linking up a lot better and also it's helped them that I think Martha Thomas being on such good form has made quite a big impact um, to the United side and so I don't think West Ham looked really messy and I don't think they looked really bad I think United more so just looked a lot better and they looked a lot more smoother and yeah everything just looked nicely polished on their side it's definitely better for the league when we have it. Not that teams are looking messy against each other, just one are better than the other on the day. Talking about teams, though, that are better than the other on the day, Arsenal kept their Women's Super League title hopes alive as they gave Aston Villa a thumping at Meadow Park. There was a nice moment before the game, though, when Aston Villa's Anita Asante was presented with a picture with all of the various moments from when she was at Arsenal, which was where she started her career. Arsenal, though, went on to show absolutely no mercy whatsoever. Viviana Miedemar scored twice in the space of four minutes to set the game's tone early on. Villa's Rachel Corsi turned in an own goal before Beth Mead, Lotte Vaubonmoy, Stina Blackstenius and Nikita Paris struck in the second half. They had moved to within one point before Chelsea travelled to Birmingham. Their game in hand is against Tottenham at the Emirates Stadium on Wednesday. Alex, if you were Arsenal going into that North London derby, coming off the back of this thumping, is it just three points for the taking? Are they just riding out to the end of the season to hope that Chelsea slips up somewhere? I think they'll definitely want the three points. But the thing about Spurs is they're one of those teams that just sit back defensively but don't really create much going forward. And yet they've scored a goal, two goals against Chelsea in the past two games. But like in the second match at Kings Meadow, the goal came from literally their first touch in the opposition box. So they're not the type of team, Spurs, that create much. So it kind of plays into Arsenal's favour where they can just be a bit more creative and kind of go for goal a lot more and they've got those goal scorers and I think you know Miedemar scoring that double should probably want to prove to people that you know she should have been voted a football player of the year despite it going to Sam Kerr with the vote being quite close I believe and um, if there was ever anyone who needed a goal it was Nikita Paris because she's she's had a bit of a weird season this year I can't I can't really describe it. Like she played, she came on in that FA Cup final back in December, then got booked within like five minutes. It was all very bizarre. And then she she hasn't really done much since then. Like she hasn't really created anything. She hasn't really scored any goals. She, so she is definitely someone who probably needed that confidence boost because even like playing for England, if she wants to compete and be in contention selection for the Euros she's got to put in more more performances where she's actually contributing yeah it's funny you bring up Nikita Paris it was her 50th 
WSL goal there's now quite a big group of them that are at that level and accolade she came to Arsenal over the summer from Lyon was it the right move do you think Alex? Probably not because you look at where not just not just in the Champions League but you just you look at where Arsenal are and you look at where they went out in the Champions League and if she perhaps stayed at Lyon she probably could have potentially been playing in a Champions League final so on that that balance you could probably say no but I I think it probably wasn't the right move because she's come back to England and she's not probably had the success that she's previously had so I don't know what her career will entail whether she'll play in the Euros or not but I would probably say hindsight is a beautiful thing and for her, it probably would have been better to stay in Leon. Talking about grinding out victories elsewhere, though, Chelsea were victorious at Birmingham, but it took a 71st-minute penalty by Penilla Harder to claim the victory as they made hard work of beating the side that is bottom of the WSL table. Chelsea could be champions before next weekend if Arsenal fail to beat Spurs on Wednesday. Birmingham, meanwhile, are five points adrift and are needing to win both of their remaining games against Manchester City and Aston Villa to have a chance of avoiding the drop. Alex, it's all about results at this stage of the season, but it's very surprising to not see Chelsea register a shot on target in the first half, wasn't it? Yeah, I do feel like though Sam Kerr was incredibly unlucky. She hit like the bottom of the cro- like the top crossbar, and it just just about bounced it. Uh, didn't go in. But this is like you you were saying, Chess earlier. This is where goal line technology could have been really really useful because it to me it looked like it crossed the line, but we'll never know because there's no technology. So it's one of those things, unfortunately, in the women's game that they still don't have. But it was a very, I don't know, it was a very interesting performance by Chelsea. It wasn't their best by any means, but perhaps playing three games within the space of a week probably took a lot out of them. And they are quite blessed to have such a big squad with rotations. And bringing Erin Cuthbert on after half-time really made the difference. She had two chances early on in the second half, um, and Jonna Anderson coming on, actually putting in that crossover to get the handball. I know a lot of the Birmingham players were sort of up in arms, not to make that joke, um, about it being a penalty. But then you just look at it, the the referee is in perfect position to see whether it is or isn't a handball. And it was, although we can like go around the houses about it, the defenders, I don't know what she's doing, she's defending with her... They were saying on commentary that she hadn't realised there was a player behind her, but she's like defending with her arm in the air. And when you defend like that, you're gonna be susceptible to giving away a penalty. It was a very good penalty by Penilla Harder. I didn't realise she was a Chelsea's penalty taker. I was like, oh, like why isn't Sam Kerr taking it or someone else? But it, it's obviously Penilla Harder. And then when Drew Spence came on, she got fouled in the box. And that one was a clearer penalty than the handball, but it wasn't given. But this is what Chelsea do, even well, the Chelsea women anyway. This is what they do, even when they're not perhaps playing at 100%, they still find a way 
um, to grind out wins is perhaps something their male counterparts could learn from because, like like you say, it was a very slow game against Birmingham. They just couldn't get going, yet they still found a way to win. The men could definitely learn something from them. <laughs> you've got you've got something to say about that there, Alex, haven't you? Definitely. But it is a big game next week at Kings Meadow now versus Manchester United. It's sold out. Otz, what's your score prediction? Oh, it's difficult because seeing Chelsea not play so well today, I know it's off the back of a busy week, but I don't know. And then United's in such good form. You're just trying not to offend me. Know. It's okay. I, I understand. Know. I know. I, Alex had come in and be like, it's 7-0, seven, 7-0 nil, seven nil Chelsea. We do know that Chelsea do crumble under pressure a lot. We've seen them in big matches and this is probably the hardest match to win, win the league, but I, they'll probably win. I'll give it a good 4-1, to four be honest. One. Yeah, yeah. Alex, Alex, what do you think? I mean, I think Chelsea will win, but I don't think it will perhaps be as big a win as people think it might be. I think it might be similar to today's match where it's a little bit more evenly contested. But then you never know. You never know what kind of mood Chelsea were in. For all we know, we could get a Samka hat trick. So who actually knows? I've tried to predict so many games this season, but it's just been one of those where it's it's too difficult to predict sometimes. Like, no one would have predicted Chelsea were going to be uh, less than 9-0. No one predicted Arsenal were going to be Villa 7-0. So it's just been a great season, a chaotic season, it's been a goal scoring season. So as long as we get some good football and some good goals and hopefully Chelsea win the league, I'll be happy. I'm just hoping for Mary Earps' sake, there's not there's not another one of those Panilla Harder Wonder goals like they scored at the Lee Sports Village last time, which has ended up into loads of compilation albums, which she now has been saying that she gets really frustrated about. She came out in an interview saying she gets really frustrated as a goalkeeper when she sees the same goals get played over and over again. And that one was a beauty, so it does get shipped out often. Going over to a game that had slightly less goals, though, Leicester edged closer to safety after a nil-nil draw at home to Reading. It was a game with very little quality throughout, but Reading did still dominate. The Royals held Leicester to their first draw of the campaign and kept their hopes of finishing fifth alive. That draw, coupled with Birmingham losing, meaning Leicester are very, very near in terms of staying up. Ottie, do you think it will be classed as a success for Leicester, their first season in the WSL? I mean, it's always difficult, I think, coming into a a league, especially where most of the teams are quite settled in the league. Um, And I think they've done well. I mean, they've lost their main striker in Jess Sigsworth as well and still managed to get some points on the table and... Yeah, they've done really well and obviously it's disappointing Birmingham haven't done so well since they've been in the league for so many years. But yeah, I think it's all credit to Leicester for for managing to get those points in, whether they'd be one point from draws or some. they've actually had some great wins as well along the way. So, hmm. Although Leicester have been better since Lydia Bedford and her gorgeous cockapoo decided to take over the club, They've still not been consistent week in, week out. Alex, if you were Leicester, what would you be working on over the summer? 
I think everything, to be honest. It's sort of like when Lydia Bedford took over, no disrespect, it was a sinking ship. Like they I'm sorry, Leicester, you look at you look at the 9-0 loss to Chelsea, they just couldn't defend. And then when they had chances, and they did have a couple of chances, like Fred Gregory had a chance to score, absolutely hoofed it wide. Like if you can't if you can't defend and you can't you can't finish when you're trying to score, it's pretty hopeless, really. So they have to work on everything. They need to work on physicality. They get bullied off the t- the whole team gets bullied off the ball so easily, and then you know they they go. 3-0 down within 10 minutes against Chelsea and Ashley Plump is trying to G up the team but for a team like Leicester like you shouldn't you shouldn't be conceding three goals in 10 minutes it's absolutely ridiculous so if you can't even defend within the first 10 minutes then you know it's pretty hopeless for you you need to you need to go back to the drawing board and just start from the beginning, to be honest. I, I don't think for them personally, playing at the King Power has helped them in any way, shape or form. It's probably hindered them. Because you look at the way they were in the championship, absolutely bossing it, won, major- won the majority of their games, and then they've come to the WSL, they've been promoted, and they've really struggled. And I think with the King Power being different dimensions to some of the other pitches... They have struggled and yeah, to be honest, get new coaches in, get just especially defensive coaches because it's just not happening for them, is it? Uh, It's very, very Colander-like, unfortunately, for them at the moment. Going on to the final team we're looking at over the week, though, is another another team with a squad that might need a little bit of rehashing over the summer. In the late game, there was drama between Everton and Spurs. It was looking like Spurs were going to take all three points as Azmita Ali scored after five minutes. The game exploded into life five minutes from time, though. Everton equalised in the 85th minute through Danielle Turner, but Spurs literally went up to the other end and went back again through Josie Green. Just when it looked like Rianne Skinner's side were going to claim all three points, Megan Finnegan popped up in the first minute of stoppage time to grab a point for Everton. If I was Rianne Skinner, I would be absolutely tearing my hair out. Everton, though, nice of them to be joining in with the WSL in game week 21. Ottie, what have you thought of their season so far? I mean, to put it quite like frankly, it's been really disappointing. You look at their squad and you look at the individuals and the players they have in that squad. And I thought at the beginning of the season, after some incredible um, like transfer business they did, that they would they would be competing for Europe. I thought mm. they'd be up there that they'd chosen some really good players and that their score would be really strong and they'd actually be able to compete with the top three. But we've just seen the absolute opposite. I think it's been a case of cohesion like be- between the team. They just haven't really gelled at all. And they've, I mean, just like we were talking about Leicester, defence a bit like a colander at times and just not really converting chances. I mean... We've had Claire Emsley has probably been their saving grace up front. She's managed to create quite a lot. Been 
bit disappointed in the return of Tony Duggan because I expected her to be on the score sheet a lot more and to, for her to have a bit more of an impact and maybe even be challenging back to get into the England squad. But we just haven't seen that from her. And I think it's just a case that they've got the individual names and they've got the individual talent, but it's just not working as a team. Hmm. On to the championship, though. We had the big relegation battle of Vicarage Road of Watford versus Coventry. Just a reminder, Coventry United were put into administration over Christmas. They were deducted 10 points and only saved at the 11th hour. They were also on an incredible run of form at the moment in the lead up to this fixture. And Watford, on the other hand, have not been faring well all season, but only needed a draw or a win to stay in the the championship. Before this fixture, Coventry sat in 12th and they needed to win to stay up. The game itself was actually pretty basic. Watford probably knew that Coventry were just about the better side and they weathered them by putting in a strong defensive line in place. In the last 10 minutes of the fixture or so, a panic seemed to set in though from both sides and it became more and more frantic. Balls were going back and forth end to end, especially involving Coventry's Molly Green and Watford's Adekite Fatuga Dada. But... In the seventh minute of extra time, Molly Green stepped up to take a free kick. You've seen it on Twitter. I luckily saw it in real life. It was gorgeous. Straight past the wall, straight past the keeper and into the back of the net. The goal they needed to keep Coventry up and to send the team that they were playing, Watford, down in their home turf. Before we go on to our questions, though, let's hear from Coventry manager Jay Bradford on her thoughts of the game. Is it that belief that you feel kind of carried you through that game? Yeah, and I think there was a moment, probably, we played Sheffield, lost to Sheffield, played Liverpool, lost to Liverpool, and I think there was a moment where we had a a real chat at training and we said, are we going to do this? Is this going to be something that we're going to do or are we just going to die early and just let, let the 10 points kill us? And we made a collective decision in that moment to, to give it the best chance that we got. And this is your reward. This is what you get. And football will reward good actions. And the fact that the whole football world wanted us to do it. Yeah, that, and that's why I say the goal fits the moment. So late on, such an emphatic strike. And yeah, I think it's, it's football. How will you be celebrating? <laughs> um, probably with a beer. But... <laughs> um, Look, we're just going to enjoy the moment. We're going to enjoy being with each other. We're going to enjoy telling our stories to each other from the last seven, eight games because we've had to keep a lid on our emotions. We've had to just win on a Sunday, come in on a Monday. Whereas right now we can go in the dressing room. There is no more games. There is no more pressure. We escaped. We did the great escape. So we're just going to enjoy our moment. Brilliant. Thank you. This is also what Watford player Megan Chandler had to say after the match. Obviously, it's not the end to the season that you probably would have wanted, but bouncing back and regrouping as a team, how do you feel like you can do that? I think this is just going to be motivation for us. Like, look, Not many people know what we've been through as a team this season and what our story's been, um, but we do, and we'll use that to go into next season um, to give everything. And I know full well that the girls will continue to you know, give everything on the training pitch in the summer you know, for pre-season, and, and we'll be back. Otty, you were also covering the fixture. Any highlights from you? I mean, honestly, apart from that 
the last free kick, which I mean was like, I mean, worth the admission fee for any fan there. I mean, honestly, seeing a goal like that, it was incredible. She was about 30 yards out and it was absolute screamer. She'd had quite a few other free kicks in similar positions throughout the game and hadn't really got that close, to be honest. But in the end, like the final dying minutes of that match, Coventry were getting really close. They had one off the post and that's when, like the, I mean, the play actually got quite good and it kind of seemed as if someone was, someone had kind of like given them, I don't even know what had happened. They'd had Gareth Taylor's half-time oranges, yeah. exactly. (laughs) But both teams just seemed to suddenly like switch into, oh, oh, we actually have to do this. And they Mm. both seemed to want to score. And I mean, Watford came really close even after that goal was scored to try and equalise. They hit the... um, the crossbar so that was really good I mean I think if they'd had that energy throughout it would have been a more exciting game but I think they were two very evenly matched sides and Coventry maybe was slightly better but I mean yeah Molly Green player of the match did it for Coventry and it's an amazing story yeah definitely it's a really amazing story and she was she was in amongst it throughout throughout the game you will have just heard from that clip from the Coventry manager, but them saying that they sat down and had a conversation in January and going, are we are we actually going to do this or are we going to sit back or are we going to try and push for this and try and stay in? And it felt like they kind of did that in the game as well. They took a bit of a step back in the t- in 10 minutes before time went, are we actually going to do this? And then they went for it properly and, and it worked. Obviously, commiserations to Watford who have now been relegated it was really awful to see, um, really awful to see that the, the players best them. But yeah, a, a brilliant fairy tale story for Coventry United. Last week's guest, Charlotte Potts, took over our Instagram stories on Sunday to give us a view from the other side as she was on commentary duty at the Valley for Charlton versus Durham. Lauren Briggs gave the northeastern side the lead on 55 minutes, but two goals in nine minutes from Emma Follis and Katie Robinson meant that Karen Hills' side finished on a high and leapfrogged Durham into fifth. Champion Liverpool fell in their only second defeat of the campaign as Georgia Timms and Tatiana Saunders cancelled out Ashley Hodson's opener. London City finished second as they beat Blackburn 3-1 and Jamie Lee Napier bagged a double before Saffron Jordan got one back for Rovers before Amy Rogers sealed the deal. The other two games between Sunderland and Bristol City and Sheffield United and Crystal Palace both finished 2-2. Moving on to the National League, and we now know it's going to be Wolves versus Southampton on the 21st of May to see who gets a place in the Championship. In the north, Middlesbrough are relegated and in the south, despite their best efforts, Chichester and Selsley were eventually relegated along with Cardiff City. Looking further below in Division 1, the Midlands Division has been won by Baltimore St Michaels. In the North Division, Liverpool Feds are champions, but the big story was about second place Newcastle United. Now, it wasn't about the 4-0 win, but it was all about the 22,134 fans who were at St. James's Park. Alex, this was crazy, but great at the same time, isn't it? 
We were talking about the fourth division of women's football, but yet it's the highest attendance for a league game, a, a women's league game in England this season. How cool is that? How how do you think that the club has kind of helped drive attendance at St James's Park? I mean, like you say, it's a really great thing for women's football. It's going to really help the progression of women's football because if they can get, you know, 22,000, 23,000, at ground like St James's Park and they got like 20, 21,000 at Old Trafford. Those are really good starting points. And it is all about, with the women's game especially, it's about marketing. And I think they've done it really well. But, you know, I think more still needs to be done. Like, I feel like with certain clubs, you'll see the male counterparts support the women's team and like be like, oh yeah, this player's done amazing. Like when Frank Kirby hit 100 goals you've got Mason Mount posting about it on his Instagram to his millions of followers and that really helps grow the game whereas I don't see that a lot with like Arsenal Spurs Spurs do it a little bit but Arsenal Arsenal pathetic at it let's be honest absolutely pathetic it takes someone like Ian Wright to promote their Champions League game but the men can't be bothered to just put out a tweet or a little post but aside from my little rant about that I think you know 23,000 for a fourth tier division of football is like astronomical. Like you, they, those players will probably dream to play in front of a crowd that big. And I can't remember the player's name, but like she, she had a dream of playing at St. James's Park and she's now fulfilled that. And that is what you want to see. You want to see players like her be inspiration for the next set of players coming through because we want to produce the best players in England and we want our women, especially with the Euros coming up, you you need to get them ready. And for any big competition, you need to get them ready for playing in front of big crowds because we know, we know the finals sold out. We know all of England's group games are sold out. So how do you then throw the women's game on that to then hopefully you know, keep selling out the home grounds of the WSL teams, championship teams, League One, etc. I'm not so sure, but I think you have to see it to be it. And those 23,000 fans got a treat today. Yeah, they definitely, definitely saw it. The fourth division, I think, of any of any sport, of any club, of men or women in the world to be able to get 22,000 people to come and watch you is truly, truly amazing. So hats off to the North East and hats off to Newcastle United for that. Talking about growing the game in a different way, hashtag United in the South East were two points clear at the top going into this weekend, but they have played all their games. So they had to sit and sweat and wait to see how Billericay did this weekend. And Billericay beat London Seaward 2-0 to win the title and snatch promotion from under hashtag United nose hashtag heartbreak I'm sure they'll be posting a vlog about it on their YouTube which is actually really good I have to admit I, I like the fact that they stream all their games and they create vlogs around it there's lots of hype there follow them on Twitter they are quite fun and in the southwest it's Cheltenham Town who are champions that's all from the pod today many thanks to Ottie and Alex thank you guys for coming on don't forget to follow us on Twitter at TWFP1 and on Instagram at the Women's Football Podcast. Make sure to give us a like. We'll see you all soon. Thank you very much for listening.